Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based in West Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to our podcast, which I call It's Not About the Sex, also the title of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery while establishing more meaningful connection and greater intimacy. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical user-friendly tools toward living a more deeply connected life. Let's get started. Tom graduated from Springfield College with a Bachelor of Science in Human Services Addiction Studies and also completed his master's degree in mental health. He is specially trained in substance and process addictions and has had extensive training with Dr. Patrick Harnes, the founder of the International Institute for Trauma and Addiction Professionals. Tom is a licensed mental health counselor, certified trauma therapist, certified sex addiction therapist, and certified multiple addictions therapist. He has been working in residential treatment since 2003, conducting process, experiential, and psychoeducational therapy groups. Tom has an expansive education in process addictions, including gambling, gaming, and internet addictions. And he is an international speaker and trainer who has educated other clinicians in trauma work throughout the United States and on three continents. Welcome, Tom Pekka. So great to have you here with us today. Thank you, Andrew. It's an honor to be on the show. Thank you. And I just want to let the folks listening know that we are here, of course, in in our usual recording studio in Los Angeles, and Tom is joining us from Florida. And I'm wondering if you can just let us know where exactly Ocala, Florida is. Uh, Ocala, Florida is about an hour and a half northeast of Orlando, Florida. So we're smack dab in the middle of the state. Uh, we're we're towards the the northern end. Some people consider us uh, South Georgia, rather than or North Florida. And also, I, I need to mention that Tom is a senior clinical advisor with the Guest House Ocala, and I'm just so glad that you could join us today. I've I've actually known about the Guest House and its origins for many many years, and and it's really one of the premier trauma treatment programs internationally. So it's exciting to have you with us. Well, thank you. We like to think it's the premiere, but I'll take one of them. <laughs> okay, the premiere. Um, no, but what's what's so great about it is there was a time, as you and I know, that there were no trauma-specific treatment programs out there. Yeah. And, and you're one of the few that really has been a pioneer and has paved the way for trauma treatment to expand to other parts of the country and other parts of the world. And on a personal note, I'm curious, what what brought you into this specific field? I mean, that can be an interesting story. Um, My mother is actually Judy Crane, who's a a very well-known trauma therapist. And uh, for years, we were, um, she was a clinician, I was, and we were two recovering people down in South Florida. And um, you know, we were watching people in, in our 12 step groups and, and watching them struggle and people were not being able to stay well as long that we get to four or five years and, and 
they would get to the point where there would be relapse. We had a couple of suicides in our group. Mm-hmm. And Judy was working at a facility called Wayside House, which is a women's facility. And she was watching how many of the individuals that were coming in for addiction work were really trauma clients as well. And it, it, it drove her to um, start a program, another facility that we, we were involved in and we sold about four or five years ago. So about 17 years ago. And I wasn't a clinician and, and I was trying really hard not to follow in my mother's footsteps. I didn't want to be that person. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you understand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, I came up to work there and I came up in the business end of things and, and I was running the business, but I was a 12 step person and I started to do some 12 step groups for the clients and they started to request doing work with me. And, and, uh, I realized that, that my mother and I shared some skills and, um, mm. and I was just drawn to it and it really watching people getting pieces, uh, to help them move forward that had crippled them for most of their lives. And I went back and I got certifications and then I went back to school and I went back and got my master's. Uh, and for the past 17 years or so, I've been, um, I've been doing this work and, and I'm, very glad that I fell into it and, and it, it truly is my niche, I believe. And I love doing it. That's great. And one thing just to add a little bit of background is that your mother, Judy Crane, I've, I've seen speak a few times and is truly one of the role models out there of folks who identified trauma as being inseparable from addictions. And because I started in the early 90s, we didn't quite get that back then. And I'm so grateful for people like your mother who have really put together the pieces of the puzzle and have helped us really create more cohesive uh, treatment approaches. And one of the things that we say nowadays that, that you mentioned is the idea of trauma work. And I'm wondering if we can just pause for a second and Talk about what that really means, trauma work. Oh, absolutely. Um, I guess to put it in, in into um, context, you know, when it, when I started in this business, the the theme was that you don't do trauma work with anyone in in recovery, early recovery, because they'll relapse. But the truth was, they weren't staying sober because they didn't do the trauma work. And what mm-hmm. what our philosophy is, and what we believe, and and this isn't any addiction process, addiction or, or or um, substance abuse, or for that matter, depression, anxiety, all the different things, is we truly believe that oftentimes those are really the symptoms of the underlying issues. So we're reaching out for coping mechanisms to deal with these things that happened to us in early childhood or, or later that don't make sense to us, that overwhelm our nervous system, that put us in a place where we're not functioning. We need something to avoid that, to dissociate from it. And all addiction is dissociative. So Mm -hmm. we run to find something and maybe that thing is alcohol or maybe that thing is sex or maybe that thing is food or, or lack thereof to avoid feeling those feelings. And those become the addiction. So if you have someone come in and you, and you only deal with the symptoms that are presenting and you don't deal with the underlying issues they tend not to get well. So trauma work is working on the underlying issues. It's really going back and reprocessing the things that happened to us that created the need for the the substance or the acting out behavior in the first place. Uh, it's putting it in, in a different context so that we don't need that coping mechanism in the same way. That doesn't make us less of an addict or less of a 
uh, an alcoholic, we certainly, once you're there, you're there. But it often makes it easier to not go back to that coping mechanism in the same way. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. And and what I would just add to what you're sharing, which is so significant, is that once again, this was not understood no. 30 years ago. And and what you are sharing, which I think we're, we forget that it's so new in, in our uh, clinical understanding, is that trauma healing is so much about regulating the, ner- the nervous system. Absolutely. And, and trauma healing is, is so much about doing whatever it takes to help somebody's nervous system regulate or, or, or find its way back to regulation more efficiently so that there's this opportunity to stop the compulsive addictive behaviors. Is, is that accurate? That's a completely accurate. And, and actually, I think it's really important to look at it that way, because I think people look at addiction and look at trauma as a mental health disorder I mean, first. And it certainly is. But it is post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a disorder of stress. It's a disorder of the nervous system. It's a medical disorder. And if we don't treat it in that way, um, we're missing a step. And, you, and you're right. For years and years, we didn't do this type of work for whatever reason. It was intimidating to some clinicians. It was scary that we might stir stuff up that we couldn't handle or we weren't in the right setting to do it. I was in a class. I had a a professor who's a very, very famous clinician who I'm not going to name who uh, relapse prevention was sort of his thing. And, and, you know, we were talking and and the discussion came up and I said, well, what about working on their trauma? And he looked at me and he Mm. said, if you work on your, on their trauma, you'll kill them. And that was kind of the, he was very old school sure. and that, that was the way that they thought. And my thought process, if you don't work on their trauma, if you don't help them regulate the nervous system, mm-hmm. you're more likely to have that consequence. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how far we've come in a fairly short time. And I think for our listeners to, to know that this is actually cutting edge work, that, that this is really about doing whatever it takes to help the individual heal their trauma in a way that also will be healing and and preventive to whatever the addictive compulsive cycle might be. And and so along those lines, I'm I'm curious if if you have a way to describe kind of the core or the foundation of, of your approach or maybe your program's approach to doing trauma work. Well, it's a complex thing to do, but I think I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Do your best. I I think, first of all, you have to think about the way that the brain works. And when you're you're looking at the brain, if we if we simplify to the triune brain, the three parts of the brain, very simplified, you know, we have the the forebrain where logic lies. Uh, We have the midbrain where emotion lies. And then way at the back, we have the lizard brain, the part of our brain that runs on instinct and survival. Mm That's the part of our brain that's traumatized. That's the part of our brain that reacts on fight, flight, freeze. So talk therapy in and of itself, while it is useful, is not enough to bridge that forebrain and that lizard brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can get you to the emotional brain, and we've certainly seen that. So our philosophy, for, for, foremost, is experiential that we're trying to do things like psychodrama, we're doing things uh, using artwork, we're doing things using story, we're doing things, even when I do a presentation, my presentations have a ton of music in them, they have a ton of video and pictures in them, because they hit a different part of the brain. Mm. They hit that part of the brain that runs on that instinct. So 
I, I guess that's the foremost part of it. The second part of it is we work on on what we believe. I mean, the one thing that we can prove anywhere, and the studies have shown, is, is the most important connection for someone to heal is their um, the therapeutic alliance. Do they believe in their therapist? Do they believe their therapist knows what they're doing? Do they have that connection? So dyadic attachment is a huge part of what we do. And, and by dyadic attachment, it's that attachment between those two people. It's making a team. Same way the 12 step works in quite in a lot of ways. It's it's that place where we get with our sponsor where we know we can trust them and we can say whatever we need to do and we'll be loved no matter what we say. Mm. Uh, our philosophy is really love them back to health. Mm-hmm. But within that, I mean, there has to be some confrontation also. It's um, so there's it, it's a I've always said to be a good trauma therapist, you have to be a good improvisationalist and you have to have one heck of a good toolkit. Mm. There is no one way to heal trauma. You have mm-hmm. to be able to meet the client where they're at, pull the thing out that they need in that moment. So we might use uh, psychodrama. We might use EMDR. We might use ART therapy. We might use actual artwork therapy. We might use, uh, we do a thing uh, called a, a trauma egg that's very well known. I believe Marilyn Smith created it that many places do where we we present all of the traumas in the life and then we find the themes and we help looking at, look at how we're recreating those themes and some of the, the reactions that we're having. Um, and it's about understanding your trauma reactivity. Mm-hmm. We all live in trauma reactivity to some extent mm-hmm. and, and how to recognize it quicker, mm-hmm. mitigate it sooner, move through it. There is no get over it. There mm-hmm. is no, it's over. It's, how do I learn to move through these reactions quicker mm-hmm. so that they don't happen as often or last as long? It's really about in, trauma is about intensity and frequency and trauma healing is about lessening intensity and lessening mm-hmm. frequency. That, that's so important. What, what you're saying about the fact that, that there is not one size fits all for, for this, that there are many, many different modalities and many ways to really heal the lizard brain. Um, what I what I hear you saying in that, if I'm not mistaken, is that there's also a combination of the relational attunement and the neurobiological attunement. And and what I was always taught is that the therapeutic alliance is the core, that that's really what helps somebody's nervous system actually relax and feel safe and feel trusting, et cetera. So that's the beginning. And, and then there's one nervous system talking to Absolutely. another nervous system. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I love what you're saying about the expressive therapies, because I, I think sometimes uh, those of us in private practice don't always keep track of everything uh, in terms of art and music and psychodrama and, and, and things that are going on all the time in treatment programs like yours. And, and then adding on things like EMDR and, and other somatic therapies, mm-hmm. et cetera, that, that, that there's really an opportunity to pick and choose. And, and like you said, depending on the client, determining what really is going to fit for them because everybody's nervous system is so different. Absolutely. And I've, like, I'm certified in many places and I've taken a lot of different courses. I've, uh, I'm not certified in somatic experiences, but I've, um, I think I'm somatic experience three. Uh, I've taken um, EMDR, ART, uh, all these different things because one of the mistakes that I think we make as clinicians is we get very good at what we're good Mm. at and we kind of expect the client to 
fold into what we do. And most times that can work, but we have to be open to the fact that this client may need something different. Mm -hmm. Um, As a clinician, you know, we should always be learning, always be adapting, Mm -hmm. always trying to something new. And, and, you know, when you're talking about some of the polyvagal things Mm -hmm. and matching the client's nervous system, I say that all the time, you're lending a client, your nervous system, you're you're (laughs) the same way a parent does. And, and, you know, and a lot of the clients that I work with, their parents lent them a wounded nervous system and that's how generational trauma. Right. So yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. So I wonder if we can backtrack a little bit because what I heard you say before, and I'll, I'm paraphrasing, but we all know that CBT and cognitive behavioral therapy has a lot of valuable applications. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yet it's mostly attending to the thinking brain. And, and so um, how does trauma in general, how does it seem to influence relapse on folks who are dealing with compulsive addictive uh, behaviors of any kind. I, I think if we also change the way we look at trauma, I think, think sometimes we look at trauma as only the big, huge things. But what trauma does is it, it mm. be a little more fragile, a little more likely to handle stress in a different way. And that doesn't always look like fragility. Sometimes it looks like dissociation. Sometimes it looks like codependence. Sometimes it looks like um, like nothing is affecting me, but it, but it really is. The reasons we relapse more often than not, our stressors and our ability to deal with that stress. PTSD directly affects that. Uh, trauma directly affects that. So if you don't understand how to regulate your nervous system, you're going to find something else deregulated. So if I am doing well, I say I went to treatment, I did a great job. I put everything I had into it. Um, I'm working my butt off. My family did some work. And then I go home and those same stressors are there. And I don't have a way to handle those stressors. I'm going to go back to the thing that works. And the thing that works might be porn. The thing that works might be alcohol or heroin or, or it might be overeating or whatever it might be. We utilize those coping skills because on some level they work and they usually work quickly. So mm-hmm. if we haven't worked on, on and I, I, I much prefer talking about trauma reactivity than traumas. If we haven't worked on our trauma reactivity, we're going to have to find something that that's where it leads to relapse there. And, hmm. and also if you go back and your family hasn't done their piece of work and you're going back into a family system or a work system that replicates some of those traumatic things, it can take you right back to the place before you did the work. And if you're trying to function within it, mm-hmm. you're going to fall back on the things that, that, you know, um, and CBT does have a place. Yeah. It, it absolutely yeah. has a place. I don't want to sound like right. I'm saying no, because we need that as well. What I was, I, I think I didn't quite um, come full circle, but what I was trying to say about CBT is that it really is part of the story and part of the healing. But what you're really talking about is a deeper, more sustainable kind of recovery. And, um, and I agree, by the way, around families, I, I think all of us tend to uh, go back to various kinds of triggers and and end up you know feeling like little kids sometimes when we're around those old patterns so um i couldn't agree more with that i was telling a story today i was doing a a a lecture today and there's this story i have about when i was three years old and um my mother was still an active addict at that time and she took me to a place where she was 
going to to score drugs and she she left me alone for a minute and there was this dog there and this dog um jumped on me and tried to bite me and and um attacked me you know her story would tell you that she went to this place she left me alone there was a puppy there the puppy decided to play with me and i got scared but for years afterwards if a dog came at me I would I would be three years old again. So it, it's not just that we feel like kids. Right. The way that trauma works is you're reliving that moment. So part of your brain yeah. is three years old in that moment. Part of your brain, you know, you're actually right. so in that moment, it's very easy to do the thing that 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 worked in that moment or react in the way we react. And we see how many of us go back to Thanksgiving knowing I'm gonna get in a fight with this person or this person. This is gonna happen this Thanksgiving at some point. Um and and the, what I what I believe is those behaviors are simply our brain falling back into the patterns of, of, of traumatic reactivity that we knew. Right, right. By the way, I, I I love the term trauma reactivity because I haven't used it before actually, and I'm going to borrow it from you because it not only makes a lot of sense, but it it's descriptive in a way that I think can help a lot of folks normalize what that dysregulation is really all about. And that idea of going back to feeling like the three-year-old is exactly what trauma um, does. You know, it's kind of like a hijack, a temporary hijack of, of, the, of the brain. You know, a lot of our listeners are, yeah. are in recovery from various kinds of trauma and, and various kinds of compulsive sexual behavior. And I'm wondering if we could talk for a moment about what you would consider to be healthier sexuality. That's a really good question. Um, and, and I don't think there's one answer to it because I think healthy sexuality is an individualized thing. Um, there is no, if you're not harming another person or, or animal for that matter, with the behavior, there is no good or bad in sexuality, but I like to look at healthy and unhealthy choices. Um, there are things that are healthy for me that would not be for another person. And there are things that are unhealthy for another person that would not be for me. So for me as, as a recovering sex addict, I have to look at really number one, live in consultation and, and be able to have people that I can trust to run things by that they're going to tell me honestly and truthfully, what they believe about what they're seeing and what I'm saying and the choices I'm making. Um, but I have to honestly look at myself and is this something that I'm drawn to because of the intensity of it, or is this something that I can do in a healthy way and, and participate in without it harming me? Um, and that's a difficult thing to do as an early mm -hmm. recovery person. Um, that's why we do the, the three circles of the green, yellow, and red, and really look at, at behaviors I have to really monitor. Um, so healthy sexuality is a process. And in the beginning, you know, uh, I might have to be restrict a little more of things that, that maybe I want to participate in. And, and as I go forward, I start to see, okay, can this be something that can be part of, and I may try something and realize, no, this isn't healthy for me. I need to, I need to let go of it. Um, one thing I did once I had a, a client I was working with, was a trauma survivor who had, had a horrible physical abuse from his mother. Well, he had been married for five years to a woman, and they were in a, 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 an S&M relationship. She was the dom, and he was the sub. And, and he's talking to me about it, and he says, this is my life. Uh, you can't ask me just not to do this anymore. This is who we are. 
So, and I, and I looked at them and what we did is we went behavior by behavior. And with the two of them, we had a couple session where we negotiated behavior and I would say, you want to do this? Well, let's look at your history and where this goes. and How does this replicate this? And well, this thing doesn't replicate. And we, we had to actually talk about all of them. And I think that part of healthy sexuality that, that's difficult a lot of times is we want that intensity and we want to feel it now and feel good. And to be a healthy sexual person, I have to take the time back to sit, reflect, honestly um, negotiate with myself of what is okay and what is not. Kind of similar to, to uh, if you're working a food program, there are certain foods that are just fine for somebody else. But if I eat them, I know that I'm going to have a binge or I'm going to do this. So, I, you know, I might not be able to have a Snickers bar or I might not be able to, much as I want it. <laughs> and as much, and I have to deal with the fact that somebody else can. So, but, but I got to look at maybe, maybe there's another food that is okay for me that doesn't trigger these things that I stay in health. And I've got to look at my behaviors. And if my behaviors are changing, I've got to decide that maybe these things aren't good for me. Um, that's kind of my feel on healthy sexuality. Sure. And, and just to elaborate on being in consultation, I want to share a, a little bit about how I see that. I'm always in consultation and my primary people are my therapist, my sponsor and God. And of course I have others in my life, um, people in program and, and others who I had trust and I can be fully myself with. But I wanted to just highlight that idea of being in consultation because for me, it's about being current, being honest, being transparent, and allowing myself to be seen fully for things that I'm just not sure about, right? Like getting a reality check in a way. And um, for those of us in program, I, I think that it's a lifetime deal. That at least that's what I found. And, and actually, I feel less alone in the world based on that. And I actually feel more regulated in the world and less anxious in the world as a result. And so I, I, I just wanted to highlight that, that, that idea of being in consultation, because it doesn't matter whether you're in a formal 12-step program or not. Uh, it just matters that you have emotionally reliable people that you can check in with. And that you're being completely honest with them. I was working with a client the other night and she has some sexual compulsivity and, um, you know, she was checking in with me and she goes, I haven't met up with anybody. It's, it's good. I haven't acted out. And I said, well, are you texting anyone? <laughs> and she decided that, you know, she didn't want to tell me that until I asked mm -hmm. the question um, to, you know, to truly be healthy. If I have to keep it secret, it's probably not healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can't tell the people I trust, probably shouldn't be doing it. Right. So, uh, and she gave me that she was texting a few people and that, that, you know, and I'm so you're, you know, you're on a slippery slope. If you're doing that, if you have to hide it, don't do it. Right. Right. So my last question has to do with attachment. And again, this is so interesting to talk about attachment around trauma and, and addiction and, and uh, compulsive behavior recovery, because again, there was an old uh, school version of attachment that was back in the days of Bowlby, who, who really talked about secure attachment and insecure attachment for the first time. And then there seems to be this new wave this last mm -hmm. 10, 15, 20 years where everybody's talking about attachment again. And, and 
which I love because I think it's so much a part of what happens between therapist mm -hmm. and client. But I'm wondering if, if you can just talk about, from your perspective, what part do you think attachment plays in trauma recovery, in addiction recovery, and, and sometimes in people stumbling and fumbling and, and going into relapse? I, I think attachment is so important, and I think it's part and parcel with trauma, part and parcel with addiction, especially sex addiction. Sex addiction, it, it shows up even more so than most. Uh, but if you think about it, the makings of a sex addict is a rigid, disengaged family system. Mm. Uh, at least that's the, the initial research. Well, that mm. creates so many of us are, are avoiding attachment in mm. sex addiction. We're looking for something that is intense and quick. And then I don't have to attach too much to it because that doesn't feel safe because of whatever happened to me in childhood. If somebody got too close, they would abandon me or they would hurt me or, or all these different scenarios. Or on the other side of love addiction, where um, I have this abandonment and neglect, where if I don't have someone to completely, I'm not okay. You know, I'm going to find ways to feed that belief system, that internal attachment, because mm -hmm. attachment at its core is a belief system about the way the relationship works. You know, it's an expectation mm -hmm. of what will happen if I get too close, if I don't get too close. So that, I mean, to me, that's, it's much easier for many of us as sex addicts to go to pornography because there is no actual attachment to it uh it is easier to have easier to have serial relationships because i can have an intensity that feels like it's something that you know because addiction is intensity and and recovery is, is mm -hmm. non-intensity it's it's intimacy mm -hmm. so i can have that intensity without the intimacy so it completely sure. sets us up for relapse and trauma is the same thing if you are abused in some way as a child it's going to uh, affect your attachment no matter what you do you're either going to learn to trust or not mm -hmm. trust or trust to a certain extent um the easiest way for me to, to explain attachment to people is usually that you know that healthy attachment mm -hmm. is i'm okay and you're okay and avoid attachment is is more of i'm not okay mm -hmm. and you're not okay and and that insecure attachment is i'm not okay and you'll make me okay that's right yeah yeah and then d disorganized is i'm okay and the rest of you are messed up <laughs> the world is messed <laughs> up right so it's True. more about those systems of meaning and, and yeah. kind of think of attachment as a system of meaning and yeah you know, biggest pieces of trauma and the biggest pieces of addiction is changing those systems of meaning. So um, I have to learn as a, an avoidant, I have to learn to allow people closer than feels comfortable. Um, right. While I'm, while I'm trying to, um, you know, gauge that it is safe, I'm, I'm not saying mm -hmm, mm -hmm. let anybody in willy nilly. Right. But if somebody gets too close, one of the easiest things for me to do is to blunt that intimacy by doing something outside of intimacy. If mm -hmm. I'm an alcoholic, it might mm -hmm. be drinking. Uh, you know, if I'm a drug addict, it might be drinking. But as a sex addict, the easiest thing for me to do to keep you at a distance, even if you don't know yeah. it, is to act out in some way and have that secret. If I have that secret, you know, I can have a, a little bit of safety. Right. Even though it's not not really safety, but it feels like it. If I'm on the other side of it and I'm that love addict, I'm going to chase after you because I need you to make me okay. And without right. you, I'm nothing. So I'm going to chase that. I think attachment is, I mean, we, we, we single these things out into different categories. To me, they're not, they're mm -hmm. all one category. Yes. You know, they're, they're all chapters in the same book. And, and mm -hmm. so attachment is hugely important to, to healing. Um, matter of fact, if you work on your trauma and you don't work on your attachment, you're 
highly likely to to relapse in trauma behaviors or trauma reactivity. If you work on your attachment and don't work mm-hmm. on your trauma, you're going to fall mm-hmm. back in attachment behaviors, and they all and they all go right back into addiction. If I'm not working on on both of those, you got to work on things holistically, and mm-hmm. it's all the pieces of the puzzle. That's beautifully said, and I, I just wanted to share a quick story because I just had this conversation with someone the other day. A client was talking to me about his long-term relationship with pot and porn and and that's been his long-term relationship since he was a teenager and he's 40 now and so he really has a very complicated relationship with love and intimacy and certainly romance and so in a way when we're talking about attachment, we're talking about very complicated relationships with love and intimacy. And, and in his case, he, it was a, a survival strategy for many years to use the pot and the porn to try and feel better. It was an attempt to feel better or different than what he was feeling, which was a lot of pain. And now he's finally saying, you know, I'm profoundly lonely here. And I'm interested in relationships. I'm Good. terrified of them, but I'm interested. And and so we talked about because I'm I tend to have a relational component to the work that I do for sure. I I was talking with him about what it was like to be having this new relationship with me and and how he he was talking about some intimidation he was feeling, some fears he was having. And I was just loving it because he was being so honest and so direct about really what he experiences in general but but he's showing me and and helping me understand what it's like to be so uncomfortable in in his own skin so i i couldn't agree more i think that it it's all of the pieces of the puzzle that are necessary and ultimately that that commitment to making sure that all these areas of healing and all these areas of trauma and addiction recovery are, are being addressed. I have a big smile on my face as you're saying that, because that that's everything we believe in the healing. And it's not avoiding that underlying mm-hmm. loneliness that lives mm-hmm. there. It's facing it. And and I mean, I, I loved what you did. The work you did with them sounds wonderful. And it sounds like you have that therapeutic alliance in exactly the way that, that works. And um, But it's yes. uncomfortable and, and nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants to feel the ick. And what I always tell my clients is you're feeling it. You're just pretending you're not you're just ignoring what's really there and avoiding it and that'll work for a while you know if if you're in treatment it's because it stopped working and yeah. um, and that's why so many of us will stay you know status quo because on right. some level it works i mean there's a reason we go to it and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when we get to that crisis place where you can do the work that you're talking about uh, it's a beautiful thing but a painful thing for sure you know, I, I heard Pat Karn speak many, many years ago, and um, I'll never forget this particular quote. He said that the good news is in recovery, you've got your feelings back. The bad news is in recovery, you've got your feelings back. <laughs> I can hear Pat's Minnesota accent as you say it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Tom, I, I so appreciate you joining us today. I, I really enjoyed getting to know you better and understanding the, the intricacies and ins and outs of, of what your program has to offer. I've known about you guys for a long, long time, 
And I, I just uh, am glad that we've had this chance to share some time together. All right, Tom, take good care. And hopefully our oh, paths thanks for the opportunity. Again. It was really good getting to know you a little bit. Thank you for listening today. It was so terrific sharing this Absolutely. time with take my care. colleague, Tom Pecka, and discussing this really vital topic that affects those affected by compulsive sexual behavior. Tom can be reached through his website at www.theguesthouseocala.com. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, or please share our podcast on Spotify. And if there are any other topics you'd like us to discuss in the future, just let us know. I look forward to you joining us on future podcasts, and thanks once again for being with us today.